Why, hi there. Thank you for downloading and listening to the 4 Million Years Later podcast. This is a show where two old friends get together and watch an episode of the Transformers Generation 1 cartoon in story order and then convene to talk about what they saw. Talking about it from the standpoint of, you know, from the perspective, I should say, of young people who grew up with the show, never fell out of love with it, and then also as not-so-young people looking back on it. My name is Jersey Drozd. I'm a cartoonist and teaching artist, and the other host is named... The Hoover... See what I did there? <laughs> I copied the episode oh. title. <laughs> I literally held my breath for a second going, is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? And then he did it. All you people oh. clamoring out in the world, <laughs> writing all those five-star reviews saying, well, I would give it five and a half stars, but Hoover doesn't modify his name to fit the episode anymore. So... <laughs> Oh my god, that makes me so happy. And yes, you're right, this is the perfect way to do it. Because in case you didn't look at the title when you downloaded this episode, everybody, we're talking about episode 47, The Gambler. The Gambler. So Kenny Rogers makes an appearance in this episode, everybody. Yeah, it's a very weird crossover. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. You never count your money When you're sitting at the table There'll be time enough for counting When the dealing's done <laughs> Who wrote this one? Well, this one is by Michael Charles Hill. We have not seen that name yet so far. This is his first Transformers work, but Ooh. he will be back. And he has written for GoBots, Dragon's Lair, G.I. Joe, Centurions, Jim, My Little Pony, Cops, Garbage Pail Kids even, and even more so than that. Wow. So he's been involved with numerous 1980s cartoons, so this is his sort of playground here. But he's new to Transformers for the first time. Wow. Okay, now I am doing a little perspective taking and saying, okay, I'm a listener who just tuned into this for the first time. And it's like, oh, there's this show about Transformers. They're talking about my favorite episode, The Gambler. But it's been years since I've watched it. So how do I reacquaint myself with this episode, Hoover? Well, there's a nice little free service called Tubi. It's Tubi.tv online. It's also an app that you can use for your phone, your smart TV, whatever. Just T-U-B-I. Just look that up online and you'll find it. This is Season 2, Episode 31 in their order. Mm, an important distinction to make because we are watching these episodes in an order that Hoover very carefully constructed for us. <laughs> so even though this is episode 47, according to Tubi, it's episode 31. Well, episode so. 31 of season two. Oh, that's right. So you got to add uh, 16. Six, 15 or 16. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? That is the purview of the comic book and cartoon nerd is to make things way more complicated mm -hmm. than they need to be. <laughs> that's what we're here to do. Uh, Chris Claremont's on the phone, Hoover. He wants his job back. Okay, so <laughs> I guess then this is the part of the show where I do the IMDb read. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> Here we go. After the Autobots are captured by an alien named Bosch, Smokescreen agrees to go to a gambling asteroid in an effort to the win then back. <laughs> Yeah, you didn't get me this time, pal. <laughs> <laughs> 
I read ahead. <laughs> how does he? How does he to the wind then back? I want to know. Well, Smokescreen must be the most talented of all the Autobots. He uses his prepositional phrase gun. <laughs> oh, and then he does like a Power Rangers thing where he telegraphs all of his moves by saying "dangling participle." <laughs> anyway, I don't even know what that means. I'm just like throwing out like grammatical terms that I've heard before. <laughs> Okay, now we're going to tackle the dangling participle. A participle is the form of the verb that has ing on the end of it. And when you begin a sentence with a participle, that phrase has to modify the subject of the sentence. For instance, looking up, I noticed I was late. That's an example of a well-formed sentence using a participle, looking up, that modifies the subject of the sentence, I. Conjunction! Oh, schoolhouse rock. <laughs> Okay, so this is about smokescreen and oh, an alien named Bosch. So I'm anticipating another like friendship between Autobots and flesh creatures. Hmm. This is also like an episode where like if you're a fan of John Stevenson and Jack Angel, sit down, get comfortable, <laughs> and make some popcorn because yeah. you're gonna get a lot of them in this one, right? Mm-hmm. Well, as we start the episode, we're in space and we see the toy rocket that the Autobots left their new friend Aaron's world in. Remember? Remember last mm. episode? This yeah. is not really a two-parter, but kind of, sort of is. So yeah. this rocket that they took from Aaron's world is sputtering to a stop in space. And that's not good. So the Autobots in this ship, if you remember who we left off with last episode, are Prime, Bumblebee, Inferno, Perceptor, and Smokescreen. I guess we talked about this a little bit last episode, but you're right. This is not an official two-parter, but these two episodes lead into each other. Like, the moment the last episode ends is, like, just before the beginning of this episode. Well, we don't know. We don't know how long they've been in space. Well, okay. So, like, but they're, they're directly connected at the very least. Yeah, sure. Yeah, they leave the planet last episode, and now we mm -hmm. see them in space. So... And... This harkens back to season one, like how season one, like the episodes kind of led into one another, not directly, mm -hmm. but like they built on one another more so than what we saw in season two. I would love to know the story behind how these two episodes came to be back to back that way. And was that something where they said like, oh, hey, we did this in season one. Let's give it a try. Or was it the writers for friends? I don't know. But yeah, I, I remember noticing this as a kid going like, okay, that's weird. Usually these episodes end like with a clear cut ending and we're back to square one mm -hmm. next or tomorrow. And these two aren't even written by the same people. So yeah. it could have just been that they were friends like, hey, I'm going to end my episode on this. You want to just pick up where I leave off? You know, who knows? Yeah, who knows? But anyway, yeah. So the rocket sputters to a stop. And Perceptor finds it odd that the rocket is stopped because he certainly knew what he was doing when he refitted this toy to <laughs> propel them into outer space. And so Inferno lambasts him for not doing a great job modifying it, and he sarcastically calls him Mr. Wizard. Now, this rocket looks awfully detailed for a toy, doesn't it? So, yeah, when you get inside the rocket, like, you see it from the outside, and it looks toy-etic, I guess. But you get inside, and it's like, whoa. Like, Optimus apparently has the same kind of aesthetic needs that Megatron has. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Aaron. We can't fly this ship. It's not orange on the inside. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, go to Michael's and get all the orange craft paper you possibly can. 
Perceptor, can you make it look like the inside of Autobot base? But Optimus, we don't need to make it look like the inside of Autobot base. I'm not comfortable <laughs> unless it's orange and there's lots of panels. Lots and lots of diagonal panels all over the place. But it looks cool inside of there, right? Mm-hmm. Also, Perceptor says something to the effect of like, oh, something has stopped our, you know, our forward momentum or something like that. I forget the actual line, but it's like it's designed in such a way to sound like a little bit big wordy. And I was I meant to mention this last episode, but I feel like these two are the beginning of nerd perceptor who uses big words and everybody gets impatient with him, which <laughs> we ultimately see like get paid off for a lot of humor in Transformers the movie later on. But I don't remember in Microbots or his other earlier appearances him using a lot of, you know, fussy or five hundred dollar word language until mm. these two. Yeah, so they're just sort of refining his character a little bit more. Yeah. Okay, so Perceptor's like, oh, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and the ship seems to get caught in a tractor beam coming from above it. Shades of Star Wars Episode Four here. And it gets brought inside a much larger gold ship that is directly above it. And the Autobots exit the ship, surrounded by armed humanoid guards who march them into a different part of the ship, which is a laboratory where transparent cylinders come up from the floor and imprison each Autobot. And then in walks their captor. And Jersey, explain what this character looks like. Okay, so first of all, it's a humanoid. It's a humanoid who speaks whatever language the Autobots speak, right? I, they must have universal translators, I guess. He's also as tall as the Autobots. Like, he mm -hmm. met, he's a humanoid who matches them in height. He's got roughly Caucasian-ish skin, but then he's got, like, big pink eyes like these big like he looks actually he looks like he's a little burnt out he's got these bags under his eyes his eyes are pink with little black dots big furry eyebrows and like some kind of like 1970s looking flash gordon-ish kind of armor on where and i and i say he's 1970s ish because it's the kind of armor where he's got like exposed upper arms and like exposed you know thighs and everything where it's like it's armor it's not protecting all of him you know and the interesting thing about his face is that I would say this is the closest that any Transformers episode gets to kind of getting in the realm of Rankin-Bass kind of design aesthetic. Like mm. Rankin-Bass, I mean, in terms of Thundercats, Silverhawks, Tiger Sharks, they're, they're action cartoons. Because he's got these weird sort of folds on his face that sort of like look almost like gills that like mm -hmm. go from like just the corners, the inner corners of his eyes, like crossing his cheekbones to his jawline. And he's got like little pointy teeth too, so yeah, this 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 character who's captured them, yeah, he addresses them in the voice of John Stevenson, <laughs> and he welcomes the Autobots. Welcome, fellow space travelers. I am Bosch, the captain of this freighter. Release us immediately. Sorry, no dice. <laughs> I apologize for the melodramatics, but drastic times dictate drastic measures. And with that, he pulls a lever that sends electricity down each tube. And Bosch tells us that this electricity is nullifying their powers and weapons, as well as removing their free will. But then, Smokescreen's tube short circuits, leading Bosch to kick it and curse this junk for not working. The tube retracts into the floor, and Smokescreen pulls his gun on Bosch, but is shot in the back by one of the guards, freezing him in his tracks, as it was some kind of freeze ray that stops the character from moving. Bosch takes the gun from Smokescreen, telling him violence is unnecessary and the paralyzing effect will wear off soon. But he can talk, and he asks, 
What do you intend to do with us? Why, sell you, of course. How else will I get the energon I need to power this ship? Not to mention these chambers which remove and restore the free will of your companions. Now, Bosch walks over to a machine which turns out to be... Well, Jersey, you used to work in a casino many moons ago near the start of our friendship. I'm sure this <laughs> is completely identical to the machines you had there. Yes, all of the slot machines were Jetsons like gold orbs on like a spindle. Then you pull a handle, there's like a giant like letter screen above it that tells you whether you win or lose. <laughs> it's a slot machine. And yes, yes, I don't know how many people know this, but I used to be a blackjack and poker dealer. And to this day, the sound of slot machines like like gives me like cold chills. Like it's it's really <laughs> If you ever want to, like, if you're worried you might have a gambling problem, become a dealer for a couple years. Because, <laughs> like, I cannot stand being in those places now. I went to American Library Association Festival for my work as a cartoonist one year, which was held in Las Vegas. And, like, all of the conference, like, sessions were in casinos. You had to walk through casino. And it was like, I was, like, in cold sweats trying to, it was, like, just those sounds. Oh, my gosh. Thankfully... The Foley designer on this episode did not use real slot machine sounds because I can watch this with with like zero problem because like the slot machines don't look like slot machines. It doesn't make the noises that they make. So, but yeah, like can, can we talk about Bosch's performance real quick? Because like we've got we got to hear him a couple times. How do you feel about this character? Like as the the John Stevenson fan of the two of us. Well, I, I, of course, prefer John Stevenson's more thundercrackery voices, but don't worry, one of those will pop up later this episode. <laughs> That's true. But as someone who has just kidnapped five Autobots, he's not, he's not like a despot. He's not this very controlling villain. He's, he's someone who gets mad when he doesn't win on the slot machines. So Yeah, but otherwise he's got like, kind of like this like lilt to the way he talks and he's like he's like he's very casual well he, he kind of feels like he would be friends with old lando calrissian mm. right like he's somebody who was like a lando kind of character when he was young but now he's getting up there in years he's getting a little old but he still likes the nightlife kind of thing yeah. so i i adore his performance as bosh well, I'm not going to say like this is my favorite episode necessarily, but I just I love that John Stevenson got to do kind of a smarmy kind of slick character in one of these episodes, <laughs> not just the Thundercracker type of performance. So, okay, so he goes over to this thing that is a slot machine, kind of, and he pulls on the lever, and what happens? He pulls the lever on it, and he loses, and he throws a fit, saying he even rigged it so he could cheat, and he still lost. So Smokescreen finds that he can move again, and he walks over saying how he'll show Bosch how it's done. Bosch agrees and lets him know that if he loses, it'll be his life that he loses. What? <laughs> Where did that come from? He's like, oh, I'm going to sell you. Okay, you're going to play my slot machine. But he, he said, the, the line is literally like, if you lose, you lose your very existence. What? Yeah, <laughs> Bosch, I, I just get the impression like... he's a guy who's trying to sound tough, but he's not good at it. <laughs> and at this point smokescreen deploys a small almost stethoscopy looking device from his wrist and it attaches to the side of the machine as he pulls the lever and then smokescreen wins getting three diamonds in a row Bosch is shocked and smokescreen retracts the tiny stethoscopy looking device back into his wrist it's all in the wrist 
If we could only get to Monarchus, we could win stacks of Energon chips. Monarchus? What's that? Just the biggest gambling asteroid in the galaxy. Why, with your talents, I could clean up. We could clean up. Yes, yes. And we could use your robot friends as collateral to get some Energon chips to gamble with and win enough Energon to fuel my freighter. And return my friends to normal. Agreed. Yes, you need my help, and it seems I need yours. And with that, Bosch pulls a lever, and the tubes surrounding the Autobots retract into the floor. Then Bosch uses a shrink ray on the four incapacitated Autobots and places them in a small hand basket. He and Smokescreen enter a smaller ship inside the big one, exiting out the bottom where the tractor beam came from as they head to Monicus. And when we first see Monicus, it's another left-to-right pan. And I don't know if this is me reading into anything, but now we're, like, we are fully, like, hip-deep in space transformer stories mm-hmm. right we're no longer mm-hmm. we've been talking about this like it's been slowly getting further and further out into space now we're like in like we just went to a giant world of green alien people now we're like on gambling planet in outer space and it's going to get even weirder coming up but so i don't know if that's what's informing this this take i have but as i looked at the pan i was like this kind of gives me the vibe of like 1970s science fiction novel covers mm-hmm. I don't definitely know. okay you're getting that vibe too mm-hmm Because on a novel cover, usually, you know, there's some big element in the background, be it a futuristic city or whatnot. And it's it's always like the hero right up front. But if you look in the back, there's always something very science fiction in the background, be it a city that doesn't look quite, you know, current, looks futuristic somehow or some Mm -hmm. kind of rocket ships or, you know, something like that. And this scene is very much that it shows Monica's. And it is a very futuristic-looking city with lots of bright colors and lots of airbrush like, highways in the air and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, that's always you always got to have elevated railways. <laughs> and this is a, this is a, a color note. Like the color themes of Monicus throughout this entire episode are a lot of yellow greens and then purplish blues. Like that's mm-hmm. the contrast they draw a lot in this one. And if you watch the backgrounds, they do a lot. And they also do the thing. I am so busted on this too. It's like, I want it to seem kind of spacey. Well, the mountains are impossibly tall and narrow, mm-hmm. almost like fingers coming out of the ground, right? Like they, those kind of mountains can't exist on earth because of our gravity. You know, it's like, okay, well, that'll seem like super exotic. And like, there's even like loop formations on the mountains. Like if you look at that one on the far mm-hmm. right in the pan, you know? So it's like, okay, it, it's, yeah. But like the, the whole aesthetic of the city of Monacus, which they spend a lot of time in, like every time I pause it and look, I was like, yeah, it just feels like the kind of airbrushy painting you'd see on a 70s science fiction novel cover. Okay, mm-hmm. so they, they arrive at Monica's. Yeah, Bosch's ship lands and they exit, and Bosch warns that they have quite the walk ahead. But Smokescreen says he never walks when he can drive and he transforms. Bosch is delighted and he gets in. Now he's been shown to be about Smokescreen's height, so he's bigger than most humans, maybe eight feet or more. But mm-hmm. I guess he's able to squeeze in somehow. Yeah, they they show this a couple times when he gets into smoke screen. It really looks like he's getting in the back seat. Mm. And then even in the last the last moment of the of the story, when smoke screen speeds off with him, you see him get pushed back into the back seat. Mm. So I, I wonder if like 
they even thought about this, but like, in, or if this is me reading into it, but it looks like Smokescreen like like got rid of his front seats somehow. <laughs> Being a transformer, he could do that. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Because otherwise, it's like, how the heck would he fit in there? It makes no sense. It don't make no sense. <laughs> so, so they head off to the city. And then we cut to later where Bosch attempts to trade the four shrunken Autobots for Energon chips. But this other guy he runs into claims he's up to his eyeballs this week in robots and he walks off. Yeah, and he tells Bosch to go see Asimov over in the Ted Quadrant. <laughs> Get it, everybody? Asimov. That's a name that should mean something to you if you like science fiction, which this episode <laughs> is all about. So Bosch is running out of potential buyers, and this only leaves Lord Gaikany. So we get another like a horizontal pan here as they're driving through the landscape, and we get more of that like '70s science fiction background. Like, look at that mountainscape <laughs> with like the weird, like like sort of St. Louis arch, but in <laughs> yeah, stone. Right. It's cool looking though, and like the greens with the with the warm blues again. I really dig the color palette. Well, Bosch directs Smokescreen to a place called Sheol, where the low life is low, and they enter a building with a sign reading "Lord Gaikany's Pit of Destruction." <laughs> I love that name so much. And like the, the fact that the sign is carved in stone, it says Lord Gaikity's Pit of Destruction right, right above the doorway. And there's like theater masks carved out of stone. Like, well, sort of theater masks, but like alien theater masks. Also, the town of Sheol, which I looked it up. I was like, well, that, Nate, that sounds familiar. That sounds like it's out of mythology. It turns out it's the Hebrew word, Hebrew word for a place of darkness where the dead go, kind of like an equivalent of hell. Mm. So... There's lots of little like verbal things dropped in, like Asimov and this kind of thing. But anyway, Dakota, Lord Gaikany's Pit <laughs> of Destruction. Oh my gosh, that it, it, that it just sounds like a Guar album title. <laughs> <laughs> well, the pair pass a mysterious hooded figure on their way in. It's a large coliseum type building where we see two creatures squaring off in the arena below. And Smokescreen asks what they are. They're called Animalians. Anyone dumb enough to pay 10 Energon chips and stay in the pit with them for 60 seconds wins. Wins what? Is life. And 100 Energon chips. Few have walked away with either. And just then, a little green alien starts bugging Bosch. Now, Jersey, explain what this guy looks like. So, take a lizard battle beast, <laughs> stretch him out a little bit, so he's a little taller than that. Throw in a dash of Creature from the Black Lagoon. Also throw in a dash of Grandma. Kind <laughs> of Grandma face. <laughs> right? Am I wrong? No. <laughs> and then put an eye patch on him. <laughs> and so he's, like, roughly up to Bosch's chest. But he's also hunched over. And he talks in this weird kind of, like garbly gook nonsense babbling slash baby animal from the Muppet <laughs> Babies kind of thing that he's doing. Yeah, and he starts pestering Bosch. And why, why is he pestering Bosch? Well, Bosch translates for smokescreen because we don't understand what the little creature is saying. And he tells the green creature he's here to see Lord Gaikany on official business. And the little green guy leads them away. And we fade to another room where we see a fat, sluggish alien sit on a couch all right, Jersey, you've explained every other alien in the show. What does this one look like? <laughs> oh, it's Boss Nass. No, it's not Boss Nass. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Mr. Lucas. You were looking at Lord Gaikany when you created Boss Nass. Uh, well, my, my kids thought. The shot's even the same. So, yeah, we've got... What, what is he? He 
is sort of like a Jabba the Hut looking dude with like big puffy lips and magnificent eyebrows. <laughs> but if Jabba the Hut had arms and legs, kind of thing. Well, Jabba has arms. Oh, that's true. Jabba does have arms. I'm sorry. So look at me being all ableist towards Jabba. <laughs> He's got legs, unlike Jabba, but he's like lounging in this giant, what looks like a pile of pillows, big <laughs> pillows. And he's got like the 70s Flash Gordon kind of outfit on where it's like it kind of evokes warrior. He's got like a giant belt, like, looks like a, like a WWF championship belt. He's got like these, <laughs> this plated armor that like, like these concentric rings that go from his wrists up to his shoulders, but then underpants and completely <laughs> bare legs and boots, you know. But his head is like, just take Jabba's head and put it on a dude, give him big eyebrows and put earrings on him. <laughs> He's that pointy ears too. What color is he? He's like sort of like a gray Poupon kind of color. Yeah, I mean, he's basically the same color as Jabba too. Yeah, and he's sitting at this big desk, and there's like little trinkets on the desk, including an alien skull. Like it looks like it's like maybe almost like a dog's skull. <laughs> and then yeah, Smokescreen and Bosch are standing in front of him at the desk, and the little lizard guy scoots over behind the pillows while he's talking to him. So yes, this is Lord Gaikany, a very important character in the Transformers mythology. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go with no, but in this episode, <laughs> yes. <laughs> So uh, Bosch is making his pitch to Lord Gaikany. Four Autobots are up for trade as collateral. Now Bosch uses his shrink-grow ray as the Autobots are returned to full size. Gaikany offers 50 Energon chips at 500% interest. And Bosch balks at this, saying it's too steep. But as the little green alien brings out the chips, Gaikany says it's his best offer. Take it or leave it. And they wind up taking it. And they turn to leave. But then Gaikany says, BT dubs, that's payable within the hour. An hour? One minute longer, and the Autobots belong to me. Why, you, you, there's not much time. Smokescreen and Bosch leave for the casino floor as Gaikany turns to his little green assistant, telling him to ready the Autobots for tonight's battle. Now, so we're getting into like this odd sort of like this it's a science fiction story clearly but it's getting like this whole like sort of like heist slash gambling kind of storyline of like okay well we got to beat the odds by you know the clock is ticking now and everything right also energon is money yeah. which is like okay actually that that given that that's a, a resource that people want a lot then it's not unreasonable so like there could be like Cybertronian preppers who are like instead of like exchange your gold, you know, or like hoard your gold because the apocalypse is coming, it's like hoard your energon. But like they've turned it into literally like chips. It looks like casino chips that are glowing the way energon glows. Mm -hmm. So this feels like it's it's breaking a lot of the Transformers genre by like forcing it into this new genre, which is both playful and fun, but also it's like, where did all this come from? You know? <laughs> but also, and I feel like this is another important moment in the story, is like after he says to his green assistant, like prepare the Autobots for tonight's battle. Out of nowhere, for no reason, he slaps the lizard upside the head so hard that the lizard flies across the room, hits the wall, and lays on the ground, and you hear Lord Gaikany laughing after he did that. And it's like, okay, so he is a sort of, you know, some kind of boss of the gambling scene on this planet, this asteroid, I should say. And also, he's cruel. He's cruel and unfair. So, And I have a feeling that if you show him hit somebody on camera like that, who is like sort of a groveling assistant, 
that's going to come back to get you. <laughs> we'll see. Well, down at the casino floor, Smokescreen has won stacks and stacks of Energon chips. And Bosch tells him to stop. They have all that they need. But Smokescreen wants to make one final bet. He bets it all, shoving the stack towards a purple-cloaked being in charge of taking bets. And this is the same one that they passed walking in. Good eye. I noticed that too, and I didn't know if that was important at all. But yeah, so he, he puts the chips on there and he says, I'm betting it all. <laughs> and as Smokescreen pulls the lever on this bet to end all bets, the purple-cloaked creature steps around to the machine, sees Smokescreen's little device hooked to it, and removes it. And without it attached to the machine, the spinners stop and don't all match. You Lose appears on the screen in giant letters. Smokescreen and Bosch's jaws drop as they realize they just lost everything. And we head to a commercial break. Oh my gosh. So now Jabba the Hutt owns Optimus Prime outright. (laughs) And Smokescreen, what a POS you are for gambling your friends' lives that way. (laughs) You know, we didn't know much about Smokescreen up until this point, you know, and now we're getting a sense of the guy. It's like, ooh, he's he's played a fast and loose with like and actually this is making him feel more like the smokescreen we got in Transformers Prime now that I think about it. Mm. Interesting. Okay, so now that we know that Smokescreen has no money, no energon chips, and Lord Gaikini is going to have the Autobots destroyed by the Animalians. What a great <laughs> name that is. So I have some Energon chips left in my pocket, and I don't want to gamble them. I want to exchange them for goods and services. So what can I get, Hoover? <laughs> well, speaking of losing, maybe we can make like Smokescreen and lose our money at the store after watching some commercials. So continuing <laughs> the losing theme, here's a commercial for a game I lost all the time. Battleship, which G.I. Joe announcer Jackson Beck. Playing electronic Battleship, Admiral Harold Burns Jr. programs a devastating attack. Dad says, You sank my battleship! And history is made. Battleship and electronic battleship from Milton Bradley. It's a hit. Oh, man. I I like that there's case files of the different dates in which the kid (laughs) defeated everybody in his family. Mm -hmm. I remember really liking this commercial as a kid. I mean, I liked Battleship well enough, but I I just feel it's a well-written commercial because, you know, you see... You don't just see like a family playing it and having fun. It's like you see the results of like kids <laughs> winning the games. Like I did it, yay! And the other kids like, oh, what? And they're like, get out of here, get out of my room. <laughs> yeah. And he was never allowed in his room again. <laughs> <sighs> or we can race on the Daredevil cliffhangers, glow in the dark track from Tycho, of course. Of course. The most exciting cars in the universe in new Daredevil cliffhangers. They race toward the wall and up and over, defying gravity. Can they conquer the giant loop? They can. The most exciting cars in the universe. (laughs) You know, though, that's not... I I feel like they deliver on their promise, like at least from our perspective as children. Because I remember thinking, like, how do they make them go upside down? Yep. You know, and then it's like, oh, wait, wait, you're excited about the upside down? Yeah, I'm very excited about the upside down. Turn the lights off. Turn the lights off. And you're like, oh, it glows in the dark. (laughs) (laughs) And we've already covered this. Anything that glows in the dark, any toy, take any toy in the world, you know, make it glow in the dark. It's automatically 30% cooler. So, yeah. Wow. Tycho, you did it. Well done. (laughs) Or maybe we can lose big playing Sorry or Payday from Parker Brothers. It's payday. Uh-oh, bills to pay. 500 bucks? Ah, uh, 
Did, did, did you have either of those games? I did not have either of those. So I uh, could not tell you how to begin to play either one. But I do like the fact that there's a lot of losing going on, going on in Sorry. And they're like, Sorry! Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's... That... I that is one of my favorite board games, and and part of the reason why is because of that. Because like it feels at least polite when you're beating right. somebody. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm beating you. I'm sorry, I'm coming out on top and you're losing. Being in a family with several dozen siblings, <laughs> it was hard to play board games like that. <laughs> it was more like when we play Battleship and the people are like kicking you out of their room. Oh, it's only two to eight players, and we have seventy three players. <laughs> oh. All right, well, you know, I've got my Daredevil cliffhangers, and I've got my sorry under my arm. I left payday behind because I don't need that kind of stress in my life of having to pay bills in a board game. I, adulthood is waiting for me with that. So, okay, you know, I'm, I'm ready to see how Smokescreen's going to get himself out of this jam. Well, we return to our pairing in Gaikini's office as Gaikini gives a not-at-all heartfelt apology about the pair's loss, adding that the four Autobots are his now. The four motionless Autobots are lowered into the floor, but don't worry, Lord Gaikini is going to hook you up with two free passes to tonight's show, which is the Animalians versus the Autobots? Uh-oh. Smokescreen is ticked. You can't turn those mutants loose on the Autobots. My friends will be torn apart. If they're lucky. Gaikini kicks them out. Smokescreen makes a fuss, but the little green assistant pulls a gun on them. They have no choice but to leave. Gakini tells the assistant, who he calls Slezardo, to follow the pair and keep tabs on them. Then, almost nine minutes into the episode, we finally get some Decepticons. We see Astrotrain land on the planet, and the side hatch opens, letting out Dirge and Ramjet. Couldn't you have landed a little closer to town, Astrotrain? We're lucky we made it this far. I burned every ounce of fuel just to get here. Hurry back with the Energon. Cool your jets, Astrotrain. We will be back soon. Uh, it's always the same thing. I fly them to points unknown, exhaust all my fuel, and they get to have all the fun. Now, Dirge and Ramjet continue walking to town. Why they don't just fly there is beyond me. But, yeah. But Dirge is paranoid. Ramjet, I have the creepy feeling we're being monitored. Stop it, Dirge. There's nothing here but sand and more sand. But then we see behind a rock is a very unfamiliar character. Oh, were you waiting for the hey, where'd they come from soundbite? Well, I'm not using it here because this is how you properly introduce a new character. We're on a foreign planet that we're seeing for the first time, and it only makes sense that these characters are new to us. I'm like, oh, we're just standing around in the ark one day, and suddenly there's six <laughs> unfamiliar characters. But I'll describe this character. He's sort of a light blue and white, with a big Autobot logo on his chest and a white gun sort of on the top of his head. And he is much more swooshy and Florodary-ish. Mm -hmm. He looks like he walked off of the Transformers the movie line of figures, mm -hmm. right? Like the 86 line. He looks very Cybertronian. He doesn't have any clear parts in him that denote a Earth vehicle the way Autobots typically do. Like Smokescreen's mm -hmm. chest is the, the hood of a car, right? Yep. So you, can't, you cannot tell what this character turns into. And yeah, he's got like a, a gun in his head, like, kind of like Scourge. 
later mm-hmm. on. And he's he's also got a gun mounted on his right forearm too, a big white pointy gun. Mm-hmm. And got that cool face. He's just got like with that weird like brim that comes out that like like kind of connects to his nose and his eyes are kind of angled in that way. He just looks cool and tough. Mm-hmm. Like you get that right away from this character. So who is this person, Hoof? Well, he begins to speak. Starlog 26 have followed the Decepticons to Monicus. We'll continue surveillance and monitor all activities. Ah, uh, I know that voice. It's John Stevenson. <laughs> well, we cut away to a sort of bar area where Bosch and Smokescreen are pondering ways to rescue the Autobots when two bouncers keep Lizardo from entering. Then the blue and white mystery Autobot enters, knocking the two door bouncers down. And he walks past Bosch and Smokescreen's table and catches the attention of Smokescreen. Hey, Autobot! Who speaks to me? It was I, Smokescreen, an Autobot myself. Great Cybertron, an Autobot! Please join us! Thank you! My name is Devcon. I left my home planet of Cybertron millions of years ago during the Great War when... And with that, Slizardo comes over to the table and starts kissing Devcon's hand. Smokescreen recognizes him as Lord Gaikini's toady that pulled a gun on them. And Devcon wants to know what he wants, because Devcon doesn't understand him either. And Bosch is able to translate. He's thanking Devcon for stopping those bouncers from beating him up. Devcon is pretty annoyed by the attention and tells him to get lost and even smacks him away from the table. And Slizardo goes crawling off. Now, this was, I think, between Lord Gaikini hitting Slizardo and then Devcon swatting him away. This affected me as a child. Like, this, like, felt. This story doesn't feel like it has a whole lot going on. It's very plotty, and it's very much like, okay, well, we got to get our friends out of Hawk. How do we do that? Mm-hmm. And now we're getting, like, this extra twist with Devcon showing up, which it's like, okay, well, we'll see where this goes. But, like, there isn't, like, a lot of emotional character stuff to hang on the story, right? Mm-hmm. Like, really, can we say much about Smokescreen as a person based on this? <laughs> I mean... I mean, really. Not overly heroic, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, like, he's he's kind of, like, ready to go with the flow, and he's ready to break some rules. But, like, even that, like, we don't have anybody to bounce him off of because Bosch is kind of the same character, mm-hmm. you know? Like, as far as, like you know, a wheeler and a dealer and a gambler kind of thing. I feel like if you would have had, like, say, Hoist in Smokescreen's place, mm. that would have made things a little bit interesting. Like, put a, like, a stuffy, or Perceptor for that matter, in the in the place. And then you could have, like, that, that bouncing of the personalities. But we don't really don't get a whole lot. So I, I suspect that this is partially why, but, like, when I saw Slizardo, like, literally kissing Devcon's hand, and Devcon's just, like, not like being emotionally available to, to reciprocate any kind of <laughs> kindness. It's like, get out of here, you know? It's like, I just immediately am filled with empathy for Slizardo. That moment, I remember it as a child, like, oh, my gosh, that poor little lizard person. <laughs> why is everybody being so mean to him? So, anyway, I'm, I'm putting a pin in that for, like, what happens later in the episode. Because I think there's some stuff that I feel like, oh, this gets redeemed for me. But there's also a lot where I'm just like, eh, it's okay. <laughs> anyway. Well, Smokescreen asked Devcon what he's doing here on Monicus. I am a bounty hunter searching for Decepticons who must be brought to justice. I have followed three of them here to Sheol. Astrotain, Dirge, and Ramjet. Have you seen them? So if Defcon sounds familiar to you, he should. He's John Stevenson, a.k.a. Thundercracker. 
And this is quite welcome because I'm not sure how many more times we're going to get to hear Thundercracker in the series. The three new Seekers are pretty much relegated Skywarp and him to the background or nowhere at all. So Smokescreen tells him he hasn't seen those three, but he can guess where they are. And we cut to Lord Gaikany's office. Smokescreen was right. The two Seekers are having a word with Gaikany. We've been hearing stories about you, Lord Gaikany. Stories that make Megatron very unhappy. Stories? What kind of stories? That you have been skimming Energon off the top. Lies! That's good! Because if Megatron thought you were cheating him, you could be in big trouble. So Megatron's been shaking down crime lords on other worlds? I honestly can't say I'm too fond of this. This world is seemingly very far from Earth and maybe reachable by Space Bridge, but maybe that's where Megatron arrived from at the beginning of last episode with the Energon Cubes? I like that idea, at least tying these two episodes together a bit more. But for some reason, I just don't like Megatron as an intergalactic mob boss. Going to dumb planets like this just screams <laughs> Season 3 to me. <laughs> And to see it already creeping into season two, well, I can't say I'm a fan. Yeah. I just want Adventures on Earth or Cybertron, and that's it. But I understand it makes perfect sense to leave the planet now that we have rocket ship, space shuttle, and UFO characters. But I don't have to really like it. Yeah, this, I mean, I feel like they're trying to tie the Decepticons into this in some kind of way other than happenstance, mm -hmm. right? What reason could the Decepticons have to going to a gambling planet, right? Yeah. Now, you could try to find, are there any Decepticons who would be gamblers? Now, I know there's one coming down the line mm -hmm. later on in the season, but, you know, maybe, what if, what if you did something where Rumble and Frenzy were, like, on a vacation trip? And then you could have the happenstance in a really fun way, right? Where it's like you show the two of them, like, at the roulette table, you know, and then, and then they happen to see smokescreen there. And like, oh, man, this vacation's ruined. I feel like a modern cartoon would take that chance, but this is just like, okay, no, they're Decepticons, they're villains, so let's, I guess, Megatron knows, the, he knows all the other villains in the galaxy. <laughs> Which does make, like, why is Megatron being so parochial in his ambitions on Earth, right? Why is he, like, limited to, like, oh, I'm going to control this three u.s cities <laughs> like megatron's <laughs> master plan if you've got like a an intergalactic sort of crime network going on like why are you so worried about pittsburgh okay so it it, it feels incongruous introduced in this way right so i'm with you i i it, it feels weird at this point in the story but okay so yes megatron's shaking down job of the huts so <laughs> So while Dirge and Ramjet are shaking down Gaikany, Dirge notices the stack of passes for tonight's show, Animalians versus Autobots. The Decepticons are surprised that Autobots are here in Sheol, so Ramjet decides they're going to stick around and see this show. Now, I'm really noticing the two speech patterns here. Ramjet does not use contractions, mm -hmm. and that seems to be a very <laughs> intentional choice, and... I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, trying to get a grasp on the characters of Dirge, Ramjet, and Thrust is much trickier than Thundercracker and Skywarp. It's like Ramjet, as a kid, I thought Ramjet was the boss of the two, but 
he doesn't necessarily seem that way anymore. And mm-hmm. I can't get a firm grip on Ramjet's personality. He's not using contractions. He doesn't seem very smart. Mm-mm. So and and Dirge Dirge is just like Dirge is kind of a doomsayer kind of guy. We get that a couple times from him, but he's not smart either. And I wouldn't call Thrust smart either. No. So it's like no. these new guys. Mm, <laughs> I mean. Th- <laughs> I'll, I'll get into it more later, but I, I, yeah, they're hard to get a grasp on. And and this also feels weird because up to this point, we have been applauding Sunbow for always giving us like a single line that implies so much about a character. Yeah, and and in this, we're kind of like left adrift, going like, "Well, what's the deal with this person? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I really don't know." Whereas like Skywarp is unambiguous, Thundercracker unambiguous, Starstream unambiguous. So. I'm with you. Yeah, these these characters. I feel like Dirge is promising something really interesting. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of an emo sort of like listening to the Cure kind of Decepticon. <laughs> that is, and especially a Seeker, like one of the more powerful, higher level characters being that way. Super interesting idea. But they don't really do much yeah. with it. He's just like, I feel creepy. Okay. <laughs> and how does it figure into what you do in the episode? I don't know. Okay, so... Yeah. But back to this story. We cut the later, and we have a packed house ready for entertainment. Below the stadium, Gaikini prepares the Autobots for the fight by injecting them with unstable Energon. It's going mm. to allow them to fight, but it will wear off quickly, so they're guaranteed to lose. And then we get a pan of the crowd. And can we talk about the... Apparently, there's three species <laughs> who live in Shul. <laughs> and, and each species wears one type of outfit. Yep. <laughs> it's very Star Trek-y that way. Like how Romulans always all wear the same outfit. Klingons always all wear the same outfit. Mm-hmm. There are these weird sort of, I don't know what you'd even call them, camel-looking creatures mm-hmm. like with green skin and big yellow eyes and sort of like puppy dog ears that stick straight out. <laughs> and they've got like space overalls on. And then you've got what looks like it's like a white bird head with like a like a, a bit of bone coming off of the back of the head, like a certain kind of dinosaur that I can't name. And they've got orange tank tops and then then there's like somebody looked at reese from star wars and said yeah but with more eyes <laughs> like could you get the eyes coming out every direction not just three facing forward but we want like six eyes facing off in, in every direction off the character's head and give them a little bit of like a goat face looking thing let's make them pink and they wear baby blue space overalls <laughs> so, but like there's a left to right pan of the crowd it's all just those three species like just like staring ahead it's like okay, yeah, it, you you did some designing here, but like they're also like not like emoting or anything. They're just like staring forward while you hear cheering noises. <laughs> well, time passes and Gaikini is now in the arena addressing the crowd as Dirge and Ramjet look on from the wings. Gaikini says he bets the Autobots won't last two minutes as Slizardo walks Prime into the arena, and then Gaikini rings a giant gong and says, "Let the games begin." The Animalian cage is opened, and a roaring beast emerges looking like a battle beast crossed with Metlar of the Inhumanoids. <laughs> he roars and approaches the camera as we fade to black for our second commercial break. Mm. So Prime is facing off against an Animalian, and it reminds me a little bit of a battle beast, which battle for the fun of it! Battle beast! Battle for the fun of it! Just activate their battle badges. 
<laughs> you, ready, you ready to have some fun? I'm ready to have some fun. What do you want to do? I'm going to try to kill you. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that is fun. Uh, and actually, you're pointing to something where it's like, this would have been such a good opportunity for them to bring in the Battle Beasts. Why couldn't they yeah. actually be fighting Battle Beasts in this episode? That'd be such cool integration of the Hasbro properties. And I know in the Japanese cartoon they did. I know. I know that. But they could have done it here. And it would have made a lot of sense. And it wouldn't have such a weird name. Like, Animalians is pretty serviceable. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if they were just like, bring in the Battle Beasts. Oh, man. Think about the toys you could have sold, everybody. <laughs> but, yeah, fire beats wood. So, <laughs> you know, I'm going to collect every one of these incredible creatures who battle for fun but do you have anything else to offer me hoover <laughs> so i always think it's good to be prepared so let's say smokescreen can't get the autobots back maybe we should just get some super gobots and call it a day you will never forget the day your home was invaded by super gobots each sold separately from tonka <laughs> Oh, yes. The guy who was, like, up to his ears in robots, like, that's what he had. <laughs> <laughs> they all got windshields for faces. What are you going to do? I can't get rid of them. I can't move them. <laughs> I also like how this commercial, like, like is clearly invoking the Close Encounters of the Third Kind sort of imagery of when the GoBots arriving. <laughs> You'll never forget the day when they came to, into your life. No, I won't. <laughs> so, okay, I'm going to get Psykill because he looks kind of cool, but I'm not getting the other ones with windshield faces <laughs> even if it is a VW Beetle sorry Psykill is pretty much the only super gobot I ever got to <laughs> or maybe if we're lucky we'll find some Starriers on clearance and we can buy them instead mmm yes Cosmeter batteries not included a remote control Starrier that you can control activate the laser force field fire disc the Wasters and Cosmeter, each sold separately with its own comic book, part of the Starriers collection, new from Tomy. They have moving chest weapons, and their villain, I maintain, still has the most 80s villain name of all time, Slaughter Steelgrave. <laughs> no other 80s toy line had a cooler villain. I, Megatron is great. It ain't Slaughter Steelgrave. <laughs> Slaughter Steelgrave. You can't even say it without thinking about Lemmy from Motorhead saying it, right? <laughs> that is the most metal villain of all time. Oh, my gosh. And that's why I have him on the card because, yes, he's a magnificent toy with a magnificent name. I'm getting three. Okay. Slaughter Steelgrave! Slaughter Steelgrave! <laughs> Exactly. You see, it just works. Like if they would have made a cartoon series, that's what you would hear every time he walks into the room. And he would probably have like a little robot who's doing that for him because that's how bad he is. He's got his own entrance music. Oh my gosh. I just like the big red dinosaur guy who looks like he's riding like a tiny bicycle because of the way they make his feet (laughs) go in circles as he goes forward. Uh, Also, the comic series was not bad. Like they did some Mm -hmm. interesting stuff with the comic series. Like that big dinosaur was like he had the soul of a poet. And he had like this kind of like dark sort of acceptance of his role in the in the murdering of other creatures. And like there's the little pterodactyl was the remote control, but in the comic they turned into the pterodactyl would like flew ahead because the dinosaur was blind. And so the pterodactyl would like click to tell him where to go. See? It's like that's the remote control. But he loved that pterodactyl with all of his heart, right? So like you had the thing where the villain like it's like a sound wave-ish kind of thing, right? Like the big, mm. weird, mysterious character who has like this relationship with another character. And if you hurt that pterodactyl, he goes on a murderous rampage, but he's blind, so he winds up hitting everybody in the room, you know? <laughs> Plus, Bill Sinkavich covers, mm-hmm. go read the Star Wars comics. They're really good. 
Four issue miniseries okay. by Marvel Comics. Yep. Okay, so I'm ready to watch Optimus get murdered by a giant not battle beast. Let's go. <laughs> well, as we return, Prime's in the ring, his eyes glowing red. They haven't really explained it, but the Autobots aren't conscious and talking, but they aren't mind-controlled either. They're able to fight, though, which is key. So the first Animalian squares off against Optimus, who staggers back as Smokescreen cheers him on from the crowd. But Prime makes a comeback and tosses the Animalian into the stands as a crowd of fans push it back into the arena. Now, as the fight continues, many onlookers rush up and bet on the Autobots as Slizardo is showered with Energon ships. In the arena, we see Prime's red eyes revert to blue as the Animalian picks him up and throws him across the arena, then pouncing on top of him. So this signals the unstable Energon wearing off, it seems. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, rings the gong, signaling the second entry. Slizardo walks Inferno into the ring as a second Animalian enters as well. Gaikini announces the second round will be a tag team match. Smokescreen is ticked off and wants to put a stop to this, but Bosch reins him in, pointing out that if he interferes, the crowd will murder him. So he instead heads out of the stadium with Bosch, who is glad that cooler heads prevailed. But Smokescreen is still going to interfere. He transforms and backs up to an arena entrance and unleashes his smoke, which fills the entire arena, causing panic and people to run up and grab the Energon ships. Everyone flees the stadium, including Gaikini and the Decepticons. Ramjet recognizes the smoke as the work of Smokescreen, and Gaikini orders they go find him. They transform and head off. Meanwhile, Smokescreen is speeding away from the arena with Bosch inside, who's urging him to slow down since they've already gotten away. But just then, two jets fly overhead, and they realize they haven't gotten away at all. The Seekers fire lasers and missiles at Smokescreen and blow him across the road, but he's still able to speed away. Then, thinking he's safe, another missile from Dirge hits him, knocking him onto his roof. And then the Decepticons circle back for another attack and launch more missiles at the helpless Smokescreen. But they're blown up mid-air by laser fire. It's Devcon come to join the fight. He fires two shots into the air and hits both Dirge and Ramjet, who transform and tumble to the ground. Who was that guy? Devcon, the bounty hunter. Let's get out of here before he comes back to finish us off. (sighs) Jersey, (laughs) let me preface this by saying Uh that I do love Thrust, Dirge, and Ramjet. I do. But why do they suck so bad? Yeah. I guess I have to lay blame at Bob Budiansky, perhaps? At least I assume he wrote the 1985 bios as well as the 1984 bios. I'm not certain about that. But it just feels like here was a great opportunity with three new Seekers. They all have special wings. You have a great excuse to give them Season 1-style superpowers and set up a class rivalry, 1984 versus 1985. You can make it where these new three are superior in every way. Make them smarter, better, faster, and do this huge rivalry where Dirge, Ramjet, and Thrust constantly outdo the original Seeker trio. And then you get some interfaction rivalries. I'm thinking like an R.I.D. situation where Scourge and the Decepticons are constantly outdoing Skybite and his Predacons and driving him crazy. 
Yeah. You know, these new guys can do that to Starscream, and it could be the one thing that finally unites Starscream with Skywarp and Thundercracker. Like, they hate Starscream, but the enemy of my enemy is my friend type of thing. So it's like they're aligned with Starscream against her Tramjet and Thrust. We could have got something like that, but no, instead we get the three Stooges. Ugh. I think it's a huge missed opportunity with these characters. Yeah, and while you were talking, I was looking up their tech specs. And I was like, okay, what, what did we have to work with here? Like, where did the disconnect happen? Because, mm-hmm. like, you're right. Like, this series does do a thing where it's like you got got to constantly up the ante and roll out bigger, more impressive, more interesting things. And the Autobots, I feel like they've been doing that with, like, okay, we got Red Alert and Inferno. They're, like, their best buddies. They got a color-themed thing going on. And we got the whole idea of, like, Red Alert has anxiety that's based on the fact that he can hear and see everything around him. That's all super interesting, and it, it's so much more interesting than Sideswipe, mm-hmm. in my opinion. But with these guys, like, there's no, there's no complexity, there's no twist like that. And I'm looking at Ramjet's tech spec right now. Check this out. Mid-air collisions are his specialty. Makes little difference if target is opponent or not. He'll crash into it just for fun. A terror without equal in the skies. The skies are my castle and I like to live alone, is in quotes. <laughs> his nose module can withstand impact of a three-foot-thick concrete at 1,500 miles per hour. Flies as fast as Mach 2.8. Carries cluster bombs. Too many crashes can injure him, particularly internal mechanics. Wow. That's <laughs> Ramjet. He rams stuff. Yeah, we get it. He rams stuff. So no wonder, I mean, like with that, like beginning to work with is like, what do you do with it? And I'm curious what the season two Bible would have had in terms of like dealing with these three characters. What's the deal with them? Because you are absolutely right. If they are not different in terms of new functionality, a la Combaticons, mm-hmm. Stunticons, etc., well, then you better bring some new characterization to them that makes them stand apart from the original three Seekers. You know, because like funny wings ain't going to get me there. Yeah. I, I saw Thrust in the store and I'm like, cool, he's got different wings. Still no Starscream, you know. Mm-hmm. And then the cartoon didn't give me anything to get really hung up about either. Reject parts. Okay, well, that's something. But, you know. Yeah, I mean, as far as like season one type of powers go, I mean, since Thrust had those fans on his wings, you could have given him like some kind of wind power or something. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I know they were kind of getting away from the superpowers angle at this point, but. I mean, give these guys something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if if you're going to do the whole thing where he just likes to ram things, go all the way, right? Mm-hmm. Like, let's let's make him so dumb that he's like, I'm going to ram it. You don't need to ram it, Ramjet. We yeah, know. We like, got like your Like, he's name. operating a computer, and, like, it doesn't give him the information he wants, so he just headbutts the computer. You know, it's like, go yeah. all the way. Yes, yes. Instead, we get this, like, sort of, like, in Decepticon Raider and King Arthur's Court, we were surmising, like, well, maybe he's, like, a heavy, right? Because he mm-hmm. calls Rumble little buddy. Okay. But we're not getting that here, you know? Now he's just, like, talking in non-contractions, or what do we guess about him based on that? I, not, I, I don't know where to go. Yeah. So I'm with you. I'm, I'm a little bummed out that these characters, like, really are only here just to be somebody to shoot at. Yeah. You know? So... So anyway, now that there's two Autobots here, Ramjet and Dirge get out of Dodge because, oh, two Autobots. <laughs> so Devcon flips Smokescreen back on his tires. Bosch exits and Smokescreen transforms. Bosch asks who the attackers were, and Smokescreen explains that those were Decepticons and tells Devcon he's impressed with his firepower and would be a huge asset back on Earth. But DevCon says, no thanks. There's already too many random Autobots showing up out of nowhere this season back on Earth. So, 
but he will help them rescue his friends here on Monicus. Okay, so now they're heading back to go get the Autobots. Smokescreen transforms into car mode. Mm-hmm. Bosch gets in. They drive away. And what does DevCon do? <laughs> well, DevCon runs behind him. He runs behind him. Now, now, why? Why wouldn't he transform into his alt mode here to, to, to travel along with him? Like, cause like his, his, his transform at the end doesn't feel like it's a, it's a surprise, right? He's well, an autobot. To he me, it, it feels like they were waiting to have him transform. And I, yeah. I don't know why they were doing that. So it's like when they got to go back to the town here, well, they can't have him transform yet. And, I'm like, well, why not? <laughs> because yeah. when he finally does transform at the end, they almost make a big deal out of like showing it. So yeah. it's like it feels like they wanted to keep it for the end for some reason, and I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's just another thing that's like this kind of makes me shake my head and be confused. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad I'm not alone on that. Okay, so. They're heading off. Yeah, the three of them head off to rescue the kidnapped Autobots, but as they make a turn, they nearly run into Slizardo, making a big commotion in the street. And Smokescreen asks Bosch to translate, and it seems Lord Gaikini and the Decepticons are about to leave Sheol with the Autobots over at the Tormac, where Astrotrain is parked. So we cut to there, where the four Autobots are being made to load Astrotrain with Energon Cubes as Ramjet explains their luck to Astrotrain, how they didn't have to lift a finger to get their hands on these prize Autobots. But just then, Smokescreen, Devcon, and Bosch show up, demanding they surrender the Autobots. A laser fight ensues with Slizardo even fighting against Gaikini. And Ramjet orders Gaikini load the Autobots into the shuttle. But Bosch and Slizardo sneak up behind them. Gaikini is shocked to find Slizardo has turned on him, but Bosch states he's through taking orders from him. And as as Bosch says this, there's some more of that weird panel stacking that we saw last episode. Yeah, and, and that really <laughs> confuses me because if you're a cell animator, stacking cells yeah. is like cell animation 101. Mm-hmm. It's like first day kind of stuff. And yet two episodes in a row here, there's been problems with the cell stacking. What is going yeah. on? And it's like, it's really obviously out of whack too, because like as Bosch is walking towards the camera, Slizardo stays in the background, but they keep putting Slizardo over top of Bosch. So it looks like Bosch is growing like (laughs) Apache Chief and Super Friends or Giganta and Challenge of the Super Friends, right? It's very confusing, but I'm just going (laughs) to say these episodes were done in a hurry. And that, yeah. that is responsible for the errors. And, And the story feels hurried too, because here the betrayal of Slizardo really feels like it's just like kind of brushed over mm-hmm. where Gaikini's like, what's Lazardo? You can't turn on me. And then Bosch is like, he's through taking orders from you. And that's it. That's all you get out of it. Yeah. Like the, the betrayal, they don't hang on it. it. It's not given any oomph, but like given the slap that Lazardo got earlier and given how Devcon helped him, I feel like, okay, this is the emotional arc of the story. <laughs> this is something where a character's doing something interesting and growing. But then it's just like, yep, he's he's different now. He's on our side. Okay, well, uh, you, you don't want to dwell on it any more than that? Nope. Okay, well, then we'll keep going with the story, I guess. So Gaikini panics, asking Astrotrain for help. Re-energized by the Energon Cubes, Astrotrain transforms and pulls his gun on the pair. But Smokescreen transforms and speeds around the Decepticons, dousing them in smoke, giving them coughing fits and leaving them unable to see where to shoot. 
Bosch and Slizardo walk the four Autobots away as Astrotrain transforms and instructs everyone to get in because it's time to get out of Dodge. So Dirge, Ramjet, and Gaikini all get in as he takes off. Devcon's not having this, so he transforms into a sort of flying car jet thing, much like Blur from Season 3. He invites Slizardo to get in and become his partner. Slizardo's a bit taken aback by all this, but he hops in after some encouraging from Bosch. And then Devcon takes off hot on Astro Train's trail. Time passes and the four Autobots are restored to their former selves and brought up to speed by Smokescreen. But I don't remember any Animalian, Smokescreen. I don't remember anything. The last thing I remember is that guy was frying us. A lot's happened to you, but believe me, Bosch is our friend. And he's agreed to take us back to Earth. So I have. But we used almost all the Energon chips here to restore the ship and your friends. And seeing how Casino Row is right over there... Hey, what do you say to a little R&R, guys? Why not? Autobots, transform! Let's go, partner! the gambling to me the end so we really don't know how long prime and the gang have been gone they've had two big adventures with an undetermined amount of time in between so i like to imagine that while prime is here sure let's have some r&r and they have fun gambling we cut away from prime laughing back to Earth with Huffer crying as Megatron and the Decepticons <laughs> have decimated the Ark and annihilated the Autobots within without Prime there to lead them and without Bubblebee there to inspire them. And so the whole Ark is on fire because Inferno's not there either. <laughs> Huffer cries as Megatron rips his arms off and then we cut back to Prime laughing in the casino with an armful of Energon chips. But no, I suppose that didn't happen. <laughs> So this episode basically gets a meh for me. Not enough Decepticons, and the ones we get are Alert Status Sir Napsalot and the Two Stooges. Um, Bosch and Gaikini are just not that interesting to me. Devcon is pretty cool, but guess what? Spoilers, we never see him again. Believe it or not, do you know who we do see again? Slizardo. Who was clamoring for him to return? Well, I guess Jersey was. Not me. (laughs) Now, what is really shocking is that not only do we never see DevCon again, but I'm absolutely shocked that, as of this recording at least, no third-party company has made a Masterpiece DevCon toy. Wow. There's probably more footage of him than there is of Skids, and yet they made Skids. So here's two tidbits of trivia, and this comes directly from the TF Wiki. Charles Michael Hill originally wrote this story for a challenge of the GoBots in what became the episode Game World, but he disliked the interference and rewrites forced on him by story editors Jeff Siegel and Kelly Ward and felt the Transformers was the perfect opportunity to get this story done right. So that's interesting. I've never seen that episode of GoBots, but I'd love to watch it Mm. and compare. Also, this and The God Gambit are the only two Season 2 episodes without Megatron in it. So it's all Megatron till Season 3, baby. 
<laughs> anyway, I think it's a just a so-so episode, and you know I'm not going to be too enthused without Megatron or any great Decepticon moments. There's a lot of potential with DevCon, but unfortunately that was squandered. So, meh for me. What do you think? So, this is a giant bag of potential, this episode, mm-hmm. that doesn't, for whatever reason, it didn't get explored the way I thought I would have liked it to be explored in the sense that, okay, let's think about gambling. Gambling is a pretty abstract concept to children. At least I hope to most children is a pretty abstract concept. I mean, like you, I remember using language like, Oh, I bet you not. I bet you. Yeah. But like in terms of like betting with like incremental payoffs and like, you know, thousand to one odds and things like that, it, it, that was largely just like, those were words. I didn't know what those meant when I was a child. So, and, and like the idea of Vegas wasn't something that I was exposed to a lot as a child. Were you Hoover? No, not at all. Yeah. See, I don't think, I don't feel like, like most kids in the suburbs in the eighties had a lot of like point of contact with like, say like the rat pack with Sinatra <laughs> with the whole, like the Vegas, like aesthetic and like that kind of glitz and glamor kind of thing. It's like, okay, you're putting that in here and that's interesting. And you're, you're turning it into like a kind of a spacey kind of thing. And like, we're at least familiar enough with it to understand that like, yeah, we all saw star Wars. We knew that like somehow Han Solo owed Jabba the Hutt money. And they, like we understood like the vague idea of crime lords and things like that. But otherwise, it was largely abstract. So what are you going to do? Well, we've got a hero, Smokescreen, who's doing, like, let's just face it. He's literally doing unethical things to try to solve the problems, right? He's mm-hmm. cheating at gambling, right? That's unethical. He's betting his friends, as, or he's using his friends as collateral to get money to solve his problem. So that's unethical. So... Where, where's the foil for this? Where's the somebody about? Oh, there's this bounty hunter who comes in and says, I am seeking justice against these Decepticons. I'm hunting Decepticons across the galaxy. I believe in justice so much, and I believe in like fairness so much that I'm chasing people alone across the galaxy to meet it up. Okay, man, there's a lot of potential conflict here, right? Because now Smokescreen and Defcon are going to team up because they're both Autobots. Defcon's going to find out. You're doing what? You're betting your friends? <laughs> You're cheating again? Whoa. This is not Autobot behavior as far as I'm concerned. Now you've got some interesting conflict, and now you've got Bosch in the middle to sort of be the grease between these, these squeaky wheels, right? Like, they could have done something with that, right? And, then, and that would be something that we as children could grab onto because it's something we've explored in this podcast. Little kids understand justice as, hey, he got more than me. That's not fair. He got mm-hmm. four M&Ms. I got three M&Ms. That's not fair, you know? <laughs> We could at least understand that dynamic going on between DevCon and Smokescreen. And then you've got Smokescreen, like, maybe teaching DevCon that sometimes you got to work around the rules in order to get to where you need to be, you know? And then you could have DevCon also saying, like, yeah, well, but you don't get to where you want to go without principles. And I operate out of principles. Boom. Now you've got something interesting to explore. So we didn't get any of that. So now we've got Slizardo's growth. With, with, like, okay, he's being pushed around, and finally he stands up for himself, and then by standing up for himself and turning on his former employer, he now gets a friend. I like that. That felt like that was not even B story. It was C story, right? So it was like mm-hmm. it doesn't really get dwelled on very much. It's just there, and and I think one of the reasons I, I grabbed onto that so much because I was looking for that someplace in the story, you know? So, like, yeah, I, I don't want to say that, like, I... I'm part of the Slizardo fan club, but when I'm watching this episode, I remember as a child at least having an emotional reaction to that character. Whereas everything else is just like, it's just, it's cool, 
DevCon looks cool. Dev, the idea of DevCon is cool. You know, space bounty hunters chasing Decepticons is neat. I like the whole bit where Optimus at the end is like, I don't remember any of this. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> Dad comes home. He's like, what happened here? You know, it's like, oh, you, bunch of stuff, Dad. You wouldn't believe it. You know, I like all that stuff. But yeah, I, I'm with you that it feels like mm, I'm going to say this hesitantly. But I suspect this feel this is like what happens when I think some adults write for children without thinking about children. I don't want to say that like blithely though, because like as you pointed out, Michael Charles Hill wrote a bunch of other cartoons, so he knew how to write for children. But this one doesn't feel like it's really written for children. Does that make sense? Right. I can't even say that it feels like it's written for older kids. Although this was one of the ones that when I got older, I had less of an issue with than other episodes. Probably because it didn't have a lot of humans in it to make me go like, Ugh, humans are lame, robots are cool. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, it's it's pretty. It's got a lot of cool art in it. The designs are interesting. The story doesn't have enough to make me go like, oh, that's so memorable, you know? And the Animalians are like, they're okay. <laughs> they could yeah. If they would have made a Battle Beast, this would have been a very memorable episode. It would have been like, oh, that's the one where the Battle Beast show up, you <laughs> know? So, yeah, solid C+, plus, I guess. I, I, I guess also I'm just a little disappointed that one that spotlights an Autobot and, and being friends with the flesh creature, I don't really get to understand that Autobot any more than a one sentence. You know, it's, it's not a one sentence that, that promises or hints at more. It's a one sentence that just exists. Yeah, he's, he's, he's loose with his ethics. Okay. Hmm. To to what end? How does that get him into trouble? Well, it causes some stakes to raise in the story, but Optimus doesn't even know that that happened. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it's like it's like at least in the end of the Master Builders, there's that bit where Optimus is like, "Yeah, you're gonna clean up this mess by yourselves." Right. You know. Yeah. Whereas this is just like, "Oh, do over." Yeah, Optimus doesn't know that I gambled him. <laughs> so, yeah. And, you know, we've said before with other writers who come on and do an episode for the first time, it's like oftentimes their first time out of the gate isn't great, but they'll go on to do much better episodes later. And I think this is the case with him because he wrote a little episode called Burden Hardest to Bear, which I think no somebody way! really likes. No way! I did not make that connection. That Yes. Oh, wow. That is interesting. Because that is that is hands down my favorite episode of the series, right? Like, and I, I am, I am both dreading and anticipating talking about that one with you because I know <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be a difficult one for me to talk about out loud. Oh, that is interesting. Michael Charles Hill wrote "Burden Hearts to Bear." Wow. So okay, wow. <laughs> that that is something to bear in mind as we encounter these and like have our difficulties with them. But yeah, not not my favorite episode. Not even in a, like a top ten kind of capacity. Though again, we don't have to belabor this. We are not ranking these because right. that is silly nonsense clickbait that we're not interested in. <laughs> the one hundred greatest Transformers episodes ever. <laughs> that would be good because there's like ninety eight episodes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And then, like, when you click on it, this is the video of me and Hoover going, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> They're all good. They're all pretty good. And then there's some great ones. <laughs> all right. Well, I am 
I, 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 I'm glad that we did this one. Thank you for this, this conversation, Hoover. What are we doing next? Well, next up is Creme Zeke. Ooh. Yes, I said Creme Zeke. That is a word. Well, it is yeah. actually a character of sorts that we will learn next time. K-R-E-M-Z-E-E-K. Exclamation point. <laughs> now, Kremzik is way down near the end of Season 2 on Tubi. It's Season 2, Episode 45. So to find that one, it's almost all the way down at the end. So do a lot of scrolling and you'll find Kremzik. Now, if you want to be an ethical bounty hunter who seeks justice across the galaxy... You know, go give us a five-star review wherever you listen to us. Every five-star review helps more people find the show. It raises us in search rankings. It makes us more relevant to the algorithms. And so when other people say, like, I like those Transformers podcasts, we're likely to be recommended. Now, if you want to be an unethical gambler who gets a huge payoff and brings us a big payoff at the end, you'll write a review. And that like makes us even more relevant so more people find the podcast. And then we'll get closer and closer to that day when you know ron friedman calls us up and says guys can i please talk about an episode with you and we'll say <laughs> i guess so we'll get a call from michael charles hill and be like let me explain my thought process behind the burden hardest to bear and you'll get to hear jersey ugly cry the entire <laughs> time oh my gosh that'll be so hard <laughs> I, I i literally am meaning to write him a letter and explain how much that episode means to me <laughs> And, and, it, it, and I'll, I'll say, like, I know you did your best with the gambler. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Well, we record the show weekly, and then we drop them on Thursdays at 4millionyearslater.com and in podcatchers everywhere. Thanks to everybody who's been downloading, listening, and reviewing. Until next time, I have been Jersey Drozd of 4millionyearslater.com and Jersey Drozd on Instagram. And I have been The Hoover. Get it? It's like the gambler, but it's the Hoover. <laughs> I got it. I got it. Got it. <laughs> okay, bye. Goodbye. Episode synopses are from imdb.com and some episode information taken from tfwiki.net. The closing theme is by Nick Mahalik, based on the original closing theme by Ford Kinder and Ann Bryant. You can find more of Nick's music at soundcloud.com slash nicholas-mahalik. That's spelled N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S-M-E-H-A-L-I-C-K. Find us on Facebook under 4 Million Years Later, and you can email us at 4millionyearslater at gmail.com. Visit 4millionyearslater.com, and if you haven't yet, Please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. You know how it works. <laughs>